Welcome to Reading with Hazel, with me, Hazel. In this podcast, we will feature the Bridgerton series. In today's episode, we'll continue with The Duke and I by Julia Quinn, Chapter 1. The Bridgertons are by far the most prolific family in the upper echelons of society. Such industriousness on the part of the Viscountess and the late Viscount is commendable. Although one can find only banality in their choice of names for their children. Anthony, Benedict, Colin, Daphne, Eloise, Francesca, Gregory, and Hyacinth. Or dirliness is, of course, beneficial in all things. But one would think that intelligent parents would be able to keep their children straight without needing to alphabetize their names. Furthermore, the sight of the Viscountess and all eight of her children in one room is enough to make one fear one is seeing double, or triple, or worse. Never has this author seen a collection of siblings so ludicrously alike in their physical regard. Although, this author has never taken the time to record eye color, all eight possesses similar bone structure and the same thing thick chestnut hair. One must pity the Viscountess as she seeks advantageous marriages for her brood, that she did not produce a single child of more fashionable coloring. Still, there are advantages to a family of such consistent looks. There can be no doubt that all eight are of legitimate parentage. Ah, gentle reader, your devoted author, wishes that that were the case amid all large families. Lady Whistledown's Society Papers, 26th of April, 1813. Mm. Violet Bridgerton crumpled the single-page newspaper into a ball and hurled it across the elegant drawing room. Her daughter, Daphne, wisely made no comment and pretended to be engrossed in her embroidery. Did you read what she said? Violet demanded. Did you? Daphne eyed the ball of paper, which now rested under a mahogany end table. I didn't have the opportunity before you are uh, finished with it. Read it then, Violet wailed, her arms slicing dramatically through the air. Read how that woman has maligned us. Daphne Comney set down her embroidery, and reached under the end table. She smoothed the sheet of paper out on her lap and read a paragraph about her family. Blinking, she looked up. This isn't so bad, mother. In fact, it's a veritable benediction compared to what she wrote about the Fedringtons last week. How am I supposed to find you a husband while that woman is slandering your name? Daphne forced herself to exhale. After nearly two seasons in London, the mere mention of the word husband was enough to set her temples pounding. She wanted to marry. Truly she did. And she wasn't even holding out for a true love match. But was it really too much to hope for a husband whom one had at least some affection? Thus far, four men had asked for her hand. But when Daphne had thought about living the rest of her days in the company of any of them, she just couldn't do it. 
There were a number of men she thought might make reasonably good husbands, but the problem was none of them was interested. Oh, they all liked her. Everyone liked her. Everyone thought she was funny and kind and quick-wit. And no one thought her at, le at least a bit unattractive. But at the same time, no one was dazzled by her beauty, stunned into speechlessness by her presence, or moved to write poetry in her honor. Men, she thought with disgust, were interested only in those women who terrified them. No one seemed inclined to court someone like her. They all adored her, or so they said, because she was so easy to talk to. She always seemed to understand how a man felt. As one of them, as one of the men Daphne had thought might make a reasonably good husband had said, Deuce, take it, Daph. You're not just like regular females. You're positively normal, which she might have managed to consider a compliment if he hadn't proceeded to wander off in search of the latest blonde beauty. Daphne looked down and noticed that her hand was clenched into the fist. Then she looked up and realized that her mother was staring at her, clearly waiting for her to say something. Since she had already exhaled, Daphne cleared her throat and said, I'm sure Lady Whistledown's little column is not going to hurt my chances for a husband. Daphne, it's been two years, and Lady Whistledown has only been pub publishing for three months, so I hardly see how we can lay the blame at her door. I'll lay the blame wherever I chose, Violet muttered. Daphne's fingernails bit her palms as she willed herself not to make a retort. She knew her mother had only her best interests at heart. She knew her mother loved her, and she loved her mother too. In fact, until Daphne reached the marriageable age, Violet had been positively the best of mothers. She still was. When she wasn't despairing over the fact that after Daphne, she had three more daughters to marry off. Violet pressed a delicate hand into her chest. She cast aspersions on your parentage. No, Daphne said slowly. It was always wise to proceed with caution when contradicting her mother. Actually, what she said was that there could be no doubt that we are all legitimate, which is more than one can say for most large families of the town. She shouldn't have even brought it up, Violet sniffed. Mother, she's the author of a scandal sheet. It's her job to bring such things up. She isn't even a real person, Violet added angrily. She planted her hands on her slim hips, then changed her mind and shook her finger in the air. Whistle down, ha! I've never heard of any whistle-downs. Whoever, whoever this dep depraved woman is, I doubt she's one of us. As if anyone of breeding would write some wicked lies. Of course she's one of us, Daphne said. 
her brown eyes filling with amusement. If she weren't a member of the con, there is no way she'd be privy to the sort of news she reports. Did you think she was some sort of imposter picking windows and listening at doors? I don't like your tone, Daphne Bridgerton, Violet said, her eyes narrowing. Daphne bit back another smile. I don't like your tone, was Violet's standard answer when one of her children was winning an argument. But it was too much fun to tease her mother. I wouldn't be surprised, she said, cocking her head to the side. If Lady Whistledown was one of your friends. Bite your tongue, Daphne. No friend of mine would ever stoop so low. Very well, Daphne allowed. It's probably not one of your friends, but I'm certain it's someone we know. No interloper could ever obtain the information she reports. Violet crossed her arms. I should like to put her out of business once and for all. If you wish to put her out of business, Daphne could not resist pointing out, you shouldn't support her by buying her newspaper. And what good will that do? Violet demanded. Everyone else is reading it. My puny little embargo would do nothing except make me look ignorant when everyone else is chuckling over her latest gossip. That much was true. Daphne silently agreed. Fashionable London was positively addicted to Lady Whistledown society papers. The mysterious newspaper had arrived on the doorstep of every member of the town three months earlier. For two weeks, it was delivered unbidden every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then on the third Monday, butlers across London waited in vain for the pack of paper boys who normally delivered whistledowns, only to discover that instead of free delivery, they were selling the gossip sheet for an outrageous price of five pennies a paper. Daphne had to admire the fictitious Lady Whistledown savvy. By the time she started forcing people to pay for their gossip, all the town was addicted. Everyone forked over their pennies, and somewhere, some meddlesome woman was getting very rich. While Violet paced the room and huffed about this hideous light against her family, Daphne looked up to make certain her mother wasn't paying her attention. Then let her eyes drop to peruse the rest of the scandal sheet. Whistle down, as it was now called, was a curious mix of commentary, social news, scathing insult, and an occasional compliment. What set it apart from any previous society news sheets was that the author actually listed her subjects' names in full. There was no hiding behind abbreviations such as Lord S and Lady G. If Lady Whistledown wanted to write about someone, she used his full name. The town declared themselves scandalized, but they were secretly fascinated. This most recent edition was typical Whistledown, aside from the short piece on the Bridgertons, which was really no more than a description of the family. Lady Whistledown had recounted the events of the previous night's ball, 
Daphne hadn't attended as it had been her younger sister's birthday and the Bridgertons always made a big fuss about birthdays. And with eight children, there were a lot of birthdays to celebrate. You're reading that rubbish, Violet, uh, Violet accused. Daphne looked up, refusing to feel at the least bit guilty. It's a, ra a rather good column today. Apparently, Cecil Tumbley knocked over the entire tower of, sh of champagne glasses last night. Really? Violet asked, trying not to look interested. Mm-hmm, Daphne replied. She gives quite a good account of the middle tour ball, mentions who was talking to whom, what everyone was wearing, and I suppose she felt the need to offer her opinions on that point. Violet got in. Daphne smiled wickedly. Oh, come now, mother. You know that the Featherington has always looked dreadful in purple. Violet tried not to smile. Daphne couldn't see the corners of her mouth twitching as she tried to maintain the composure she deemed appropriate for, uh, for a big countess and mother but within two seconds she was dreaming and sitting next to her daughter on the sofa let me see that she said snatching up the paper what else happened did we miss anything important Daphne said really mother with lacy whistle-downs as a reporter, one need not actually attend any events. She waved toward the paper. This is almost as good as actually being there. Better, probably. I'm certain we had better food last night than they did at the ball. And give that back. She yanked the paper back, leaving a touring corner in Violet's hand. Daphne! Daphne affected mock righteousness. I was reading it. Well, listen to this. Violet leaned in. Daphne read. The rake formerly known as Earl Clyton has finally seen fit to grace London with his presence, although he has not yet deigned to make an appearance at the respectable evening function, the new Duke of Hastings has been spotted several times at White's and once at Tattersall's. She paused to take a breath. His grace has resided abroad for six years. Can it be any coincidence that he has returned only now that the old Duke, Duke is dead? Daphne looked up. My goodness, she is blunt, isn't she? Isn't Clive Dunn one of Anthony's friends? He's Hastings now, Violet said automatically. And yes, I do believe he and Anthony were friendly at Oxford. And Ethan as well, I think. Her brows crunched and her blue eyes narrowed with thought. He was something of a hellion, if my memory serves. Always at odds with his father, but reputed to be quite brilliant. I'm fairly sure that Anthony said he took a first in mathematics, which she added in a maternal roll of her eyes, is more than I can say for any of my children. Now, now, mother, Daphne teased. 
I'm sure I would take the first if Oxford would only see fit to admit women. Violet snorted. I corrected your arithmetic papers when you when your governess was ill, Daphne. Well, maybe in history then, Daphne said with a grin. She looked back down at the paper in her hands, her eyes straying to a new duke's name. He sounds quite interesting, she murmured. Violet looked at her sharply. He's quite unsuitable for a young lady of your years, is what he is. Funny how my years, as you put it, volley back and forth between being so young that I cannot even meet Anthony's friends and being so old that you despair of my ever contracting a good marriage. Daphne Bridgerton, I don't like my tone. I know, Daphne grinned, but you love me. Violet smiled warmly and wrapped an arm around Daphne's shoulder. Heaven help me, I do. At that exact moment, Simon Bassett, the new Duke of Hastings, in the erstwhile topic of the Bridgerton ladies' conversation, was sitting at White's. His companion was none other than Anthony Bridgerton, Daphne's eldest brother. The two cut a striking pair, both tall and athletic, with a thick dark hair. But where Anthony's eyes were the same deep chocolate brown as his sister's, Simon's were icy blue. It was an oddly penetrating gaze. It was those eyes, as much as anything, that had earned him his reputation as a man to be reckoned with. When he stared at the person, clear and unwavering, men grew uncomfortable. Women positively shivered, but not Anthony. The two men had known each other for years, and Anthony just laughed when Simon raised a brow and turned his icy gaze upon him. You forget, I've seen you with your head being lowered into a chamber pot. Anthony had once told him, it's been difficult to take you seriously ever since. To which Simon had replied, yes, but if I recall, you were the one holding me over that fragrant receptacle. One of my proudest moments, to be sure, but you had your revenge the next night in the form of a dozen eels in my bed. Simon allowed himself a smile as he remembered both the incident and the subsequent conversation about it. Anthony was a good friend, just the sort of man would want by his side in a pinch. He'd been the first person Simon had looked up upon returning to England. It's damn fine to have you back, Lyfden, Anthony said, once they settled in at their table at White's. Oh, but I suppose you'll insist I call you Hastings now? No, Simon said rather emphatically. Hastings will always be my father. He never answered to anything else. He paused. I'll assume his title if I must, but I won't be called by his name. If you must? Anthony's eyes widened slightly. Most men would sound quite so resigned about the prospect of dukedom. Simon raked a hand through his hair. He knew he was supposed to cherish 
his birthright and display unwavering pride in the Bassett family's illustrious history. But the truth was, it all made him sick inside. He spent his entire life not living to his father's expectations. It seemed ridiculous to try to, to, to live up to his name. It's a damn burden, is what it is. He finally grumbled. He'd get used to it, Anthony said pragmatically, because that's what everyone will call you. Simon knew it was true, but he doubted if the title would ever sit well upon his shoulders. Well, whatever the case, Anthony added, respecting his friend's privacy by not delving further into what was obviously an uncomfortable topic. I'm glad to have you back. I might finally get some peace next time I escort my sister to a ball. Simon leaned back, crossing his long, muscular legs at the ankles. An intriguing remark. Anthony raised a brow. One that you're certain I'll, I'll explain? But of course. I ought to let you learn for yourself. But then, I've never been a cruel man. Simon chuckled. This, coming from a man who dunked my head in a chamber pot? Anthony waved his hand dismissively. I was young. And now you're a model of mature decorum and respectability? Anthony grinned, absolutely. So tell me, Simon drawled, how exactly I am meant to make your existence that much more peaceful? I assume you you plan to take your place in the society. You assuming correctly. But you are planning to attend Lady Danbury's ball this week, Anthony said. Only because I'm in, inexplicably fond of the old woman. She says what she means and Simon's eyes grew someone shuttered and Anthony prompted. Simon gave his head a little shake. It's nothing. Just that she was rather kind to me as a child. I spent a few school holidays at her house with Riverdale. Her nephew, you know. Anthony nodded once. I see. So you have no intention of entering society. I'm impressed by your resolve. But allow me to warn you. Even if you do not choose to attend the Tons events, they will find you. Simon, who had chosen that moment to take a sip of his brandy, choked on the spirit at the look on Anthony's face when he said they. After a few moments of coughing and sputtering, he finally managed to say, Who, pray tell, are they? Anthony shuddered. Mothers. Not having had one myself, I can say I grasp your point. Society mothers, you dolt, those fire-breathing dragons with daughters of God help us marriageable age. You can run, but you'll never manage to hide from them. And I should warn you, my own is the worst of the lot. Good God, and here I thought Africa was dangerous. Anthony shot his friend a faintly pitying look. They will hunt you down, and when they find you, you will find yourself trapped in conversation with a young, 
pale lady, all dressed in white, who cannot converse on topics other than the weather, who received vouchers at Almax and hair ribbons. A look of amusement crossed Simon's features. I take it then that during my time abroad, you have become something of an eligible gentleman? Not out of any aspirations to the role on my part, I assure you. If it were up to me, I'd avoid functions like a plague. But my sister made her bow last year, and I'm forced to escort her from time to time. Daphne, you mean? Anthony looked up in surprise. Did the two of you ever meet? No, Simon admitted. But I, but I remember her letters to you at school. I recall she was the fourth in the family, so she had to start with D. And, ah, uh, yes. Anthony said with a slight roll of his eyes, the Bridgerton method of naming children. Guaranteed to make certain no one forgets who you are. Simon laughed. It worked, didn't it? Say, Simon, Anthony suddenly said, leaning forward. I've promised my mother I'll have dinner at Bridgerton House later this week with the family. Why don't you join me? Simon raised his dark brow. Didn't you just warn me about society mothers and the debutant daughters? Anthony laughed. I'll put my mother on her best behavior, and don't worry about that. She's the exception that proves the rule. You like her immensely. Simon narrowed his eyes. Was Anthony playing matchmaker? He couldn't tell. As if Anthony was reading his thoughts, he laughed. Good God, you don't think I'm trying to pair you off with Daphne, do you? Simon said nothing. You would never suit. You're a bit too brooding for her tastes. Simon thought that an odd comment, but instead chose to ask. Has she had any offers then? A few. Anthony kicked back the rest of his brandy and then let out a satisfied exhale. I allowed her to refuse them all. That's rather indulgent of you. Anthony shrugged. Love is probably too much to hold for in a marriage these days, but I don't see why she shouldn't be happy with her husband. We've had offers from one man old enough to be her father another old enough to be her father's younger brother one who was rather too high in the instep for our often boisterous plan and then this week dear god that was the worst what happened simon asked curiously anthony gave his temples a weary rub this last one was perfectly amiable but a rather bit them in the head. You'd think after our rakish days, I'd be completely without feelings? Really? Simon asked with devilish grin. You think that? Anthony scowled at him. I didn't particularly enjoy breaking this poor fool's heart. Er, wasn't Daphne the one to do that? Yes, but I had to tell him. Not many brothers would allow their sisters such latitudes with their marriage proposals, Simon said quietly. Anthony just shrugged again, as if he couldn't imagine treating his sister in any other way. She's been a good sister to me. It's the least I can do. If it means escorting her to Almas, Simon said wickedly. 
Anthony groaned, even then. I console you by pointing out that this will all be over soon, but you've what, three other sisters waiting in the wings? Anthony positively slumped in his seat. Eloise is due out in two years, and Francesca this the year after that, but then I have a bit of reprieve before Hyacinth comes of age. Simon chuckled. I don't envy you your responsibilities in that quarter, but even as he said the words, he felt a strange longing, and he wondered what it would be like to not be quite so alone in this world. He had no plans to start a family of his own, but maybe if he had one to begin with, his life would have turned out a bit differently. So you'll come for support from for supper then? Anthony stood. Informal, of course. We never take meals formally when it's just family. Simon had a dozen of things to do in the next few days, but before he could remind himself that he needed to get his affairs in order, he heard himself saying, I'd be delighted. Excellent. I'll see you at the Danbury's bash first. Simon sh shuddered. Not if I can help it. My aim is to be in and out in under 30 minutes. You really think, Anthony said, raising a doubtful brow, that you are going to be able to go to the party, pay your respects to Lady Danbury, and leave? Simon's nod was forceful and direct. But Anthony's snort of la laughter was terribly reassuring. End of chapter one. <laughs>